Good morning. My name is Don. I'm a compulsive overeater. I always bring pictures. Um, Deep down in a secret part of me that I never wanted to admit, I used to think that I was never going to be able to uh, be anything other than overweight and a pig. And I thought because of every time in my life that I would try to lose weight, I would gain it back with more. And it didn't matter how hard I tried. It was so alien to my core that I could never do it for any extended period of time. And I thought I was doomed. I had a friend who's a psychiatrist who in the most well-meaning way said, look, you're genetically programmed that way. People were programmed all different ways. The ones that were thin and scrappy in the prehistoric times couldn't make it through the tough winters. And the people that were heavier were able to. Uh, and he said, it's basically give up. Uh, that's who you are. And that's what you're about. And at some level, uh, deep down, I believed him. I thought it was impossible. But today I have over a little over 20 years of abstinence and I'm maintaining it. And even more importantly than maintaining the weight loss, because if you ask me why I came here in the first place, I'd say this is a trick question. I came here to lose weight. Why the hell else would I be here? But if you ask me why I'm here today, it's because I don't want to eat compulsively. And they're really different. Uh, I can I can lose weight and white knuckle and be wound up tight and hanging on and obsessing with the food. Uh, or I can do what I do today and I can be free of the food obsessions and truly free of them. If I do the deal, the food doesn't call me. It's not the primary focus of my day. So let me so having told you sort of the ending, let me go back and tell you how I got here. Um, Ever since I was a little kid, I had a different relationship with food than my friends. It was obvious to me. Uh, they would do things like leave food on their plate or say I'm full, uh, things that weren't in my vocabulary. And I didn't know, I couldn't stop. I just kept eating. Uh, I wanted to eat all the time. I grew up in the 50s. Uh, in Dallas, Texas, my mother had a local television show. So we had one of the first televisions on the block. And I like to say I'm one of the very first pioneers of eating in front of the television set. <laughs> and and hardships come with pioneers, right? There was three channels and, and no remote. But literally, I would sit and watch the test pattern if I could eat. So it didn't matter. Those of you old enough to remember, there used to be test patterns before there were TV shows on in the morning or at night. Um, so uh, it, 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 I don't remember a time when I wasn't. Uh, I've seen pictures of myself as a little kid. You could see my ribs. I haven't seen them since. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember that. And I certainly always remember just being obsessed with the food and not able to stop eating. And I remember a coach when I was in elementary school saying, kid, you got to do those push aways. I said, what's that? Push away from the table. Um, so it, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do. I mean, it's not rocket science to figure out that uh, if you're overweight, you're eating too much. Because, um, you know, I, I can tell you in two words how to lose weight. Eat less. <laughs> Knowing that never did me any good whatsoever. Knowing it and being able to do it was the disconnect. Uh, I knew what to do. I knew a lot about how to lose weight. I'd been on a lot of diets. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember being tested. Is it your thyroid? Is it this? Is it, you know, whatever. It wasn't. It was just that I ate too much. And I was obsessed with the food. Um, I lost weight in earnest when I was in uh, uh, high school. Uh, when this doctor friend gave me what essentially amounts to what today you'd call speed, but back then was <laughs> some kind of... Uh, 
uh, you know, I forget what the name of it was, but it was it was speed and it worked great in terms of the appetites flying around the room mentally um, by, and, and wired. But I didn't I wasn't eating and I would eat. But, but an interesting thing that came out of it is I had very little appetite, but I was thinking about food all day. Uh, my mind was still spinning. Well, you know, I could have a bite of this and what am I going to do for this and the dinner and the that. And, uh, and uh, it would, but I was losing weight and, and it worked great until I stopped the pills. And then back came the weight and the obsession and uh, I gained more than I lost before. Um, and that was the pattern every single time I'd start. I got it this time. I got it. I got it. And then it would I'd have it for a period of time and then it would go away. And I'd sit there just befuddled going, what happened? You know, why? Why is this continually kicking my ass? And in other areas of my life, I was able to set goals pretty, for the most part, accomplish them if I was serious enough about them. You know, I'm here. Goals there. What are the steps? Let's do it. Let's get there. Let's have a plan. Let's make it happen. And I could do it. And then it come to the food and I couldn't do it. And I said, why? What, what, what is it about this that I can't do? I used to think Star Trek used to think, uh, have a thing about space, the final frontier. And I used to think food, the final frontier, <laughs> because I just uh, couldn't figure it out. And I thought I, I, I got to have it's a gimmick. It's a trick. It's a something. I said, I haven't tried this. I haven't tried that. And, and I tried everything that I could get my hands on. And yeah, diets work great as long as I stayed on them. The problem was I couldn't stay on them. The problem was this spring wound up inside me when I got on a diet tighter and tighter and tighter. And then it would explode and I would go out and make up for lost time, almost like getting out of prison and, you know, you know, bring it back on because it was so alien to who I was. It was so different from the core of it that I would just white knuckle, hang on as long as I could and then explode in the other direction because the spring just just, just went out. Um, so I knew about Overeaters Anonymous for about 10 years before I came in the room. And I didn't come in the room because I would not admit that I couldn't do it by myself. And I, you know, I came close and I almost came to a meeting and then I veered off and I said, eh, I can't go in and, you know, admit that I wouldn't do it. Um, but I finally, uh, literally one day, and I have a vivid memory of it laying in bed, feeling this giant stomach and going, I can't do this by myself. I got to try something. And um, it was, uh, you know, I, I had been to a nutritionist on and off and I realized that for a couple of days after going to the nutritionist, my food was pretty good. And then, of course, it went back to, to, to the default, which was overeating. And I thought maybe if these meetings just get me a couple of days at a time and I go to two or three of them a week, maybe I can piece it together. Maybe it'll work. I didn't really know. Um, and this was before the Internet. So I called up the OA office and listened to this long list of meetings and picked one that was near my house. And it was this dark, rainy afternoon in this sort of rundown, dingy place. And there were about 10 people. And I thought for sure that, uh, that some of them were brain damaged. And uh, I could not wait to get out of there. Uh, and uh, and I was, you know, it was just off putting in, in the whole sense. And I was on my way out the door and this tiny little woman named Doris, who some of the old timers here would remember, was in her 90s at the time, gets between me and the door and sticks her finger in my face and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. I thought, what? <laughs> it, it was such an odd, weird thing to say. And yet it was intriguing enough to think, all right, I'll give it one more try. And the next day I went to a Serenity Sunday, which is a meeting in a Sunday. And it was sunny and it was in a park and it was light and there were people laughing. And I'm seeing people who have lost 
350 pounds and kept it off for 25 years. And I didn't know that something like that existed. I didn't think it was possible because remember, deep inside me, this little thing says you can't do this. You know, you're never going to be able to do it. You're doomed. You're you're completely stuck overeating the rest of your life because I some really deep, deep part of me always believed that. Um, and I thought, but here's somebody doing it. It's a little bit like, you know, you're a kid and you want to ride a bicycle and you get on it. It falls over every single time. And then you see other kids in the neighborhood driving by on their bicycle. And you go, well, it's possible. I'm just not doing it right. So I thought, all right, I'm intrigued enough to want to do it. Um, and in the beginning, it felt like a diet club. It felt like, and particularly Serenity Sunday, where they give chips and you've probably figured out I'm goal oriented. Um, so uh, I, I wanted the chips and I wanted to get up there and have everybody say, wow, aren't you great? I mean, sorry, these not particularly great motives, but it's what I needed at the time. And uh, so, yeah, I wanted I wanted to do it. And I got abstinent right away, literally right away um, for whatever reason. And uh, if I kept going to the meeting, yes, it felt like a diet club. And yes, the motivation may not have been the purest, but it's what need I needed to get in the door and to get me started and get me going with it. Because um, this program is not logical. My mind is really logical. The program is not logical. It's experiential. Uh, it's something that you can talk about, but you can't. It's, you know, you can read a manual on how to fly an airplane, but until you get in the airplane and actually fly it, it's a completely different experience. And that's what the program is for me. It's 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 something I had to do. It's not something I can explain because my, my initial reaction is, all right, let me study it. How fast can I get it and how quick can I get out of here and how little can I do in the process? Because that's basically what if my compulsive overeating was about. It was about how much can I get for me? Because at the core of it, that's what compulsive overeating was for me. It was all about me. It was all about it's never enough for me. It doesn't matter how much there is. It's not going to be enough. It didn't matter how much food was on my plate. I would a be worried it wasn't enough and b be looking to see if you had more um, because uh, my ultimate default was me. How much can I get for myself? And that's how I came in. And that's what it was about. And the same thing with the trophies. It was about me. I, I want to be the star. Right. Um, about when I was going up for a 60 day chip. Uh, I realized something was missing and I hadn't noticed it because it was missing easier, easier to notice something that's intruded than it is to notice something that's missing. And what I realized was missing was the spring winding up. And I thought, wait a minute. Every time I, before I've lost weight, the spring wound up inside me getting tighter and tighter because I was, you know, not soothing myself with the food. And I realized it wasn't happening. And I thought, whoa, this is really different from anything I'd ever done in the past. And that was astonishing to me because I didn't think it was possible to lose weight and not feel the, the anxiety and not feel the white knuckle, not feel the, the tightening and the obsession around the food. And it, it, uh, as it happened, it, 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 that's what it was. And I thought there's something really different here. And I, and I began to take it even more seriously. I remember saying to my sponsor, uh, you know, the meetings are getting better. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, no, the meetings are about the same. You're just you're getting more open to the program. And he was, of course, right, um, because it was about that. It was about the fact that I was starting to become part of the group. I was starting to get out of my head. Uh, I cannot solve this inside my head. Uh, John here likes to say you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. <laughs> and it's true. I can't do it myself. I can't do it by myself. 
And I really didn't want to admit that for a long, long time. Um, because these other things I like to think I did for myself. I probably didn't do most of them by myself either, but I like to think so. Um, but this one I know for sure from history and from experience, I can't do it by myself. Now, I don't want this to sound like this, you know, perfect pink cloud gliding straight ahead thing, because it was not. Uh, about a year into program, I suddenly noticed my pants getting tighter. I suddenly noticed my food getting bigger. And my immediate reaction was, don't tell anybody. You're the poster kid for OA. You look how great you're doing. Don't tell anybody. And I thought, no, no, wait a minute. It's exactly the opposite of what I need to do. I need to tell everybody because it's the secrets that were the, the things that I kept inside myself that were destroying me. It was all of this sort of I got to eat when nobody can tell what I'm eating and when I'm secretly doing this, that and the other. Not that it's not obvious when somebody's overeating, but we don't think so or I didn't anyway. <laughs> um, and so I started telling everybody and it was this incredible release. The, the little gremlins that live in the dark recesses of my brain are very scary when I'm walking through a dark attic. If I can pull the little gremlins out into the sunlight and talk about them and tell people about them, they're not so scary. They're not so big and they can lose their power because the power they have over me essentially is what I give them. Um, but again, I cannot do this by myself. Uh, I have to do it with the group. I have to be part of something uh, and we all do it together. It's like uh, if there's an eight foot wall and uh, we want to get over it, I can't get over it by myself. But you can boost me to the top and I can reach down and grab you and then I can pull you over and together we can get over the wall. Um, it's something that we we have to do together, at least in my experience. I certainly can't do it by myself. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, I went with my sponsor to uh, 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 what's called Pacific Group. It's this very strong AA meeting. I'm not an Alcoholics Anonymous, but he wanted me to see what that was like. And this old timer behind me says, kid, this is a million dollar program. You get it a nickel at a time. And uh, he was right. Uh, the, the, the experience inside the program is different as I move along through it. I get more out of it over time. Even even after 20 years, I'm still getting more out of it. And that's what makes it so wonderful is that it continues to be an experience. It continues to be something that I can learn and something I can do that's different and, and that I can feel that's different. Um, and the more experience I have with it, the, 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 the more that it enhances my life, not just the food part of my life, which is the only reason I came here. Because I remember in part of the, uh, reading the first step, you know, say our lives have become unmanageable, saying to my sponsor, you know, my life's not so unmanageable. I think I'm in pretty good shape. Got a long term marriage. I'm happy with my kids. I like my job. And he says, how's the food part of your life? And I said, well, not so hot. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, if I can do the deal, if I do this program on a daily basis, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I uh, do a reading, if I talk to sponsees, if I call my sponsor, if I'm clean about reporting what I'm eating, if I just do a few simple things on a daily basis, I get a reprieve for that day. But I had a sponsee who said one of my favorite things in program, which is I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. So it doesn't really matter that I've got 20 years. If anything, it can make me cocky and I can say, boy, I'm an old timer. I got this. I'm a pro. Uh, it doesn't matter. It, 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 what matters is what I do for the next 24 hours. However many years I did it in the past is irrelevant. It's only what I do today. Everybody here now has, you know, 30 minutes of abstinence. Uh, if that's your first terrific build on it. Um, if, if you, you know, it's it's just a matter of taking it a day at a time or a minute at a time. 
sometimes, depending on what kind of shape I'm in and what's going on. But if I if I do the deal, I get the release. If I don't do the deal, the food starts to get a little sloppy and a little heavier and I can I can see it. Um, if I'm feeling emotional about something, I can see it show up on uh, in the way that I'm suddenly eating faster or eating unconsciously. Um, it, it's a barometer. It's 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 a way of seeing what's going on in my life, because that's my drug of choice. That's where I go to soothe myself. That's where I go to calm my nerves. But it doesn't it doesn't really do that. I mean, the expression is if you have a problem and you eat over it, you have two problems. And that's been my experience is that it just then I feel worse about myself. Oh, there I go again. And suddenly that turns into a spiral and, I, and, and, and it can get worse. Uh, if I don't have the program to back me up, I will go back to it. I, there's no doubt about where my default mode is. But if I do the deal on a daily basis, I get a reprieve. And it is a genuine reprieve. It's not just the ability to white knuckle it. It's a release from the food obsessions. I don't think about food. I don't crave uh, to do the things that I used to do. Uh, again, if I stay, if I stay um, um, clean on a daily basis. Um, but it does require staying clean on a daily basis. And it does require my admitting that I can't do it by myself, which is in the beginning was very hard for me um, because my ego wanted to do it. Uh, there's a guy, an old timer here named Roy, who took a long term chip uh, and said, I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease and I have an ego that wants to take credit for my recovery. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that was a great expression. That's, both of those things are true for me. Um, but being aware of them and talking about them and knowing that that's not what it is, is what keeps me clean on a daily basis. And that's, again, what it's all about. Um, the um, the spiritual part of the program, which I know is hard for some newcomers, uh, it came somewhat naturally to me because my mother was very spiritual. So I kind of grew up that way, even though we weren't particularly religious, um, but she was very spiritual. And so it, I had forgotten when I came in that that was part of it. And I thought, oh, that's sort of interesting. Um, it, it's still a little bit. Uh, it was weird in the beginning, but it became, it, it, you know, it's a three part uh, recovery. It's spiritual, emotional and physical. And uh, and, and they all tie together, uh, you know, because if I can get in touch with with uh, with spirituality, uh, it makes it easier for me to deal with the emotional part, which then takes care of the physical part. Because if I'm in a good emotional place, um, if I'm a good spiritual place, I don't have the physical cravings because in, in essence, the cravings for me were trying to fill something that that I couldn't fill. And my, I went to, to drugs for it. Uh, drugs being food. I, I don't have any other addictions. This is the, this is the one. But that's where I went was to the food, because that's where my head goes is, is to soothe myself. Um, there's a guy named Ken who spoke here a few weeks ago who said addiction is using something physical to solve something emotional. I thought that was a great, uh, you know, a great um, definition of it. Uh, and that's indeed what I used to do was the only because I didn't have the tools to do it. I didn't have any other way to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, my concept of a higher power is sort of a rhythm and flow to the universe. It's almost like a musical wave, a musical note. Uh, that if I'm in tune with it and harmonious with it, my life flows very nicely. If I'm swimming upstream against it, I'm exerting myself. I'm getting tired. I'm getting frustrated and my life isn't so good. And I, and I want to go to the food because that's where I'm going to go. That's where my head's going to go is to the food. 
because um, that's the way I'm wired. And I know that. But I also know that if I do get in tune with the flow of it and if I can get outside my head, if I can think about what I can do for other people instead of just what it's about for me, my life gets way better. My life gets better. Uh, and hopefully I'm helping somebody else's life get better. Uh, and it's a big it's a circle. We all we do that for each other. And you know, it's back to the eight foot wall analogy. You know, you boost me up. I'll pull you up. Vice versa. And together we can do it. So uh, the ability and the brilliance of the program is that within a few minutes, I can't talk to anybody who's not a compulsive overeater about what's wrong with me. They just look at me like, why would you do that? Why would you overeat like that? Um, it's like taking someone who's blind from birth and trying to tell them what the color orange looks like, right? No words. We don't have a common vocabulary. I can't tell somebody what it's like to be a compulsive overeater. They just think, well, why would you do something stupid like that? On the other hand, I don't understand why somebody would gamble their house away. I'm not a compulsive gambler. Uh, but in this program, we all understand what the compulsion's about. We can talk to each other in a way that nobody else can. And because of that, we can help each other through something that we all share in common. And we can create a power amongst ourselves that, that for me at least, didn't exist anywhere else and that I was not able to do elsewhere. So um, I think I will end at this point, And I uh, thank you for letting me be a service. Now is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. And please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Could you tell us some of your six-step experiences? Yeah, some of the six-step experiences. They're ongoing. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, it's, I, I haven't done a formal six-step since I actually did the steps. Uh, but, you know, on a daily basis, I do an inventory. So I try to look at what I'm doing. And part of my inventory is, you know, what have I done wrong today? Or what, what do I owe amends for? What kind of things can I improve? So uh, I, I write a, uh, I do the AEIOU, which um, I'll describe if anybody doesn't know it. Uh, you list A is your absence. What did you eat? E, exercise. I, what I do for myself. Oh, what did I do for others? You is uncovering, you know, things that are feelings, things that have uh, gone on. Uh, and then there's a why, which is a Yahoo for something great. And then three gratefuls, three things you're grateful for. And in that process, uh, I deal with character defects and the six step. Yeah. Hi. Um, how have your relationships changed since you've been in the program? How relationships changed? Uh, quite well, as far as the outside people go, probably not as much as, as it's changed inside me. Um, I've become much more attuned to other people. I was shocked, for example, to find at holiday parties they don't just have food, there are people. <laughs> <laughs> and if you actually talk to them, it's sort of your, your head doesn't concentrate just on the food. <laughs> because uh, I was perfectly capable of standing in a conversation with somebody but not hearing a word they're saying and just watching the hors d'oeuvres go by. Um, so uh, it, it's, the, the way it's shifted is just a much more of a caring about other people and a much more respect for other people uh, in terms of, you know, if, what came out of the steps for me was um, 
an understanding of other people's points of view and their motivations and why they're doing things that I would find troubling. And if I understand why somebody's doing something that's troubling me and realize in their position, I would probably do the same thing. It's hard for me to be angry about it. And so the whole purpose of this is um, is, is again to keep my emotions uh, on, a, on a clean level because anger gets in the way of things. I don't think straight when I'm angry. But if I realize somebody's doing something in the same way that I might in their circumstances, it's much harder for me to get angry about it. Uh, and so I think it's been, it's changed in terms of respect, openness, and just sort of being able to listen and, and be empathetic. Yeah. Thanks for your share. And to expand on that a little bit, I thought I heard you say, say early on, I can't remember the word, that, that you know, there's such a self-centered disease and that you're just thinking about yourself. And can you describe at what point in this step work that that started to shift and how that started to shift for you to think about others as opposed to yourself? Yeah. Question is, uh, how did I shift from being completely self-centered to starting to think about others during the steps? It was uh, it was gradual. Um, it, it you know, it took some time because in, in the beginning, my head wanted to separate me from the group. It's a bunch of losers and I am different from these people. And, you know, uh, I don't I don't under I don't fit in. It was just my disease trying to keep me out of it. And as I began to open up and listen to other people, uh, you know, regardless, uh, on the outside, we, have, we may have nothing in common in this group. You know, we may be different ages, different genders, different races, uh, different ethnicity, whatever. On the inside, we're all compulsive overeaters or we wouldn't be here. Right. Uh, and once I sort of got the respect for that and uh, um, my, uh, my wife's rabbi from when she was a little girl had this saying, he said, I never met a person I couldn't learn something from. And I always thought that was a, a, a wonderful way to live life. What can I learn from somebody? Uh, if I treat people with respect, my life gets better. Um, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to feel like their opinions valued and that they matter. And, uh, and yet before it was only about me. Uh, so I don't remember. It wasn't like a dramatic tectonic shift. It was sort of a gradual opening up process um, that, that I you know, work to maintain today. Yeah. Thanks. Um, what, how do you sponsor and do you do it the same way for all your um, I do it generally the same way, yes. Uh, I mean, different people have different needs. The question is, how do I sponsor? Sorry. Uh, you know, it's, I sponsor based on my experience, which means I sponsor the way that my sponsor sponsored me, which was very traditional using the big book of AA as opposed to OA material. And, uh, you know, I expect my sponsees to call on a regular basis, as I do, and I expect, you know, to work the steps the way that I worked them, which was uh, um, in, a, in a particularly formal way. And uh, so everybody pretty much does it. But different people have different abstinences. People have different needs. So I try to understand what people need in the beginning. But as we move toward it, the basic principles are all the same for everyone. Yeah. Um, how do you handle it when you go to a party or a potluck and you know there's going to be food, but um, you're not sure what that food is going to be? Right. Good question. How do I handle it at a party or a potluck when there's going to be food and I don't know what it's going to be? Um, it's uh, any any free food large buffet is a serious issue for me. <laughs> uh, at least it used to be. It's not as much anymore, but certainly in the beginning it was a major issue uh, because that's a massive trigger for me. 
I can get triggered more by situations even than by specific foods. There are a few foods that trigger me, but mostly it's situational, like free food, big buffet, uh, you know, or a situation where I'm uncomfortable with a bunch of people. Those kinds of things are triggers for me. Um, if, if I'm going to a, a thing where a potluck, well, first of all, a potluck means you can bring some of your own food, so that can take care of part of it. Uh, and in terms of not being triggered, I'm not sure whether that's the question or whether the question is, how do you find something healthy to eat? Um, healthy to eat, I can bring some uh, if it's a potluck or sometimes find out ahead. Or if, I, if I'm really worried, I might eat beforehand or afterwards. Um, and then in terms of triggering, I'll literally go in another room if I'm feeling triggered. Uh, certainly in the beginning, there's an expression, it's best to avoid slippery places in the beginning. And so I'll, if I'm starting to feel a trigger, I'll get up and go to another room or drink some water or try to talk to somebody and just get my head away from the spinning about the food. Yeah. Thank you very much, Don. Could you talk about two things you referenced? One was that you had had that tight coil that spring and when that, uh, you discovered that wasn't there, how did you, how did you sort of live without having it there? And, and sort of get used to feeling good, better, whatever, unsprung. Um, and, and how, how, what, and, and now, what sort of issues are you finding that you're um, bumping up against if you are, are there some issues that come up again and again even after long-term recovery? Okay, uh, two questions. Well, the first one was, how do I, uh, if I don't have the spring anymore, how do I live without it? Well, the spring was not something I enjoyed. <laughs> the, the spring was just a, a feeling of building tension and, you know, that I that I was almost shaking white knuckle hanging on to this, this uh, you know, way of eating because it was so alien to me. So I don't miss that at all. It's great to live without it. Um, it feels wonderful. Um, and then the question was, do I still have problems with long term absence? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, they, uh, I tend to get a warning that I didn't have before. I mean, there, there, before program, if I, had, if I had food that I wanted to eat, it was in my mouth while I'm simultaneously thinking this may not be a good idea. Um, now I, I have a, a distance between the thought and the action. And, and I realize if I'm having the thought, something's going on and I need to get outside myself. Um, and I also report my food on a daily basis and I don't want to report something uh, that I've done stupid. And, uh, you know, so my ego gets into it in a bit. And uh, and but yes, it's a constant. There, there's an expression about an airplane going from L.A. to New York is off course 85 percent of the time. Uh, and it's always being adjusted and corrected. And that's you know, that happens. Uh, I get a little bit off this way and I have to course correct. Uh, but I realize it and I know it and I have tools to deal with it. And the tools are calling my sponsor. Tools are being honest about it. Uh, tools are not trying to hide it. Tools are, you know, sometimes, as I just said, getting up and going in the other room if I'm really feeling triggered. Um, but I, I don't expect I'm ever not going to be a compulsive overeater. I don't think it's going to go away. I can just get a daily reprieve again if I go through and do the deal. Yeah. What's your my absence is three meals a day and an occasional snack. Uh, my food plan is healthy choices, and uh, which I do about 98.37% of the time. <laughs> Other questions? Yeah, Carol. Uh, thank you for your share, John. Um, trying to figure out how to formulate this. Um, when there are things either in your life or in the world at large that, you know, if you had a vote, would have voted that they go differently. Um, how do you balance 
um, mm-hmm. trying to take actions you can and do what you can to, to have things be a little healthier for, for yourself and the world versus getting so wound up and so uh, attached to wanting certain outcomes whether you're, you're goal oriented. How do you do the balance between um, being active for things you believe in and letting go of the results. Okay. Question is, how do you balance between when things aren't going the way you want them to, either in the world at large or your life, with uh, the idea of being goal-oriented and wanting things to go your way, as most of us do? Um, uh, uh, I have two answers to that. Uh, One is something my mother used to say, which is if you're trying really hard to get something and you're not getting it, it's not right for you. Um, and the other is an expression that a, a fellow in program said years ago about God only gives you three answers. Yes. Yes, but not now. Or no, I have something better for you. In my experience, that's been true. Things, things that have not gone my way, years later sometimes I'll find out, oh, if that hadn't gone that way, I wouldn't have this. And I just, I have, uh, it's again back to my sense of flowing with the universe. Things are not always going to go the way I want them to but they tend to go the way that they need to for me. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, there's a great thing in the big book about acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. You know, and when I'm disturbed, it's because I find some fact, thing or situation not to my liking. And it talks about I can't have any serenity unless I accept it as being exactly the way that it's supposed to be. And I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to change in the world as what needs to change in me and my attitude. And that's one of the, 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 the strongest touch points I have in OA is understanding that it's me that has to react to it. There's a thing I read years ago, not in program literature, about two guys who were in a, a car accident and they're both left in wheelchairs. And one guy is, says, you know, I was an athlete and I can't play athletics and I can't go out and play ball with my kids. And I'm going to, you know, my life is over and gets depressed and shrivels. The other guy says, thank God I'm alive. I came through that. I'm going to enjoy every day because it's a gift. I could have been dead. Exact same circumstances, completely different reaction. So to me, it's all about how do I react to it? What, what, what do I see? How do I feel about it? And accepting the things that I can't change. Yeah. Thank you, John. At what point early on did you realize that this is a spiritual program and not a weight loss program? Um, at what point did I realize it was a spiritual and not a weight loss program? Well, I realized it was spiritual in the first meeting when they started talking about God. <laughs> okay. Uh, I realized uh, that it, I didn't, I thought it was, I came in to lose weight. So I thought it was a weight loss program for a long time. And, uh, but gradually over time I came to see, and it wasn't a moment, it was just, and it took a while, that it was about much more than the weight. It was about a serenity. It was about maybe on the outside you wouldn't see much difference in me, but boy, inside, did I feel calmer and did I feel, you know, more accepting and easier about life. And things got way, way better. Yeah. Any history of relapse? Uh, I do not have the experience of relapse, but that's mostly because of luck. I have the experience of food getting sloppy and gaining weight in program. Um, But, you know, I kept coming back. I kept being honest about it. I kept calling my sponsor. I kept doing the deal. And because uh, before that would have been an excuse to go away. Uh, I'd say, hey, I've lost it, but let's go. Uh, that was my prior experience. But I, I just stayed with it. So. Yeah. When you uh, 
got to a healthy body What was it like acclimating Oh, good question. What was it like acclimating to a healthy body weight? Really weird things I didn't anticipate. Number one, my ass hurt from chairs. <laughs> Number two, um, I felt like I lost my suit of armor. I felt very vulnerable. I felt, and I did not anticipate that. I suddenly felt like exposed and, and like, oh, uh, this is weird. Um, and, but other, other than that, and, and the third one was probably kind of a body image thing, which is that I once before program starved myself down to maybe 30 pounds less than I weigh today. And I still didn't like the way my body looked. And so I kind of came to the conclusion I'm never going to like the way it looks. And I just had to accept it. And interestingly, accepting it means I'm OK with it now. But I but it meant accepting I was never going to be happy with what it looked like because uh, so. Um, but that took a little bit, too, just in terms of, of realizing it. But also it felt really good, uh, you know, having having a healthy body weight. I felt lighter. I walked lighter. I, you know, um, it, it, I just felt cleaner. I didn't I didn't feel as ashamed of myself, even if I wasn't completely happy with the way I looked. Other questions? Yeah, John. Uh, what's your Relationship during the day with my higher power. Um, you know, it, it's it, it, part of it is I do a reading in the morning, which sort of connects me. Um, part of it is that during the day, if I'm feeling some stress, if I have a minute, I'll take a breath. And uh, I like it's also when I get calls from sponsees that reconnects me to a higher power because it takes me away from, you know, my head just doing what I'm doing during the day. Um, so it's it, it, I don't do a, a more conscious, formal thing than that, other than, you know, working the, the program steps. Um, but it's, it, it, you know, anytime there's something stress, I'll take a deep breath and sort of remember I'm not in charge here and get in flow with it. And that that usually helps me quite a bit. Other questions? Yeah. Do you have a prayer or meditation practice? Um, I, I don't have a formal prayer meditation. I've actually just downloaded an app and may start with a simple meditation uh, other than meditation in the meetings for a minute. <laughs> um, I do read uh, the um, uh, one day at a time OA book every morning. I keep it, my glasses on top of it so I don't forget. Uh, and uh, and, you know, but but short of that, other than I don't have a specific prayer meditation. Yeah. Well, weirdly, I have just one. I same guy from day one. I picked him really scientifically. He was the only guy who came up to me. <laughs> but he's a, he's a really strong sponsor with a really strong program. And uh, we've we've been together ever since. I've never had a need to change. Yeah. How long has that been for you? Uh, I, I have, uh, let's see, I, I had February 1, 20 years of abstinence. Other questions? All right, then we shall wrap it. Yeah. <laughs>